Welcome to Shirt Factory Center Stage, a podcast recorded at the newest century-old hotspot, the Littit Shirt Factory. Join in as the relentlessly curious co-hosts Jim Hoffer and Kim Schaller shine a spotlight on the talented performers who will entertain and energize audiences from this very stage. It's quirky. It's fun. It's a behind-the-scenes listen that you won't want to miss. And now, here's Shirt Factory Center Stage. Hi, Kim. Hi, Jim. How are you? I'm good. I'm really well, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, no, you look good. You have a big <laughs> smile on your face. I have my Littit Shirt Factory shirt on. Yes, yes, of course. That's your uniform. That's my uniform. Yes. Things are good. So here we are. I've lost count of what episode of Shirt Factory Center Stage this is. I agree. Which I, I think agree. is a good thing. So many. Yes. So many. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's innumerable. Infinite. Yeah. Yes. Infinite. Yeah. But, you know, this episode, I always say this, this episode is special. <laughs> this one is special because we have a guest today who I consider part of the Shirt Factory family, really. He saw the potential for this building even before I did. And why don't you introduce our guest? I'm sitting here looking over at Alistair Blake Peters, who actually has been the first artist resident that you've had here. That's right. We've had the opportunity to spend time with him since you opened. So why don't you ask your first question? Yeah. So Alistair, what about that? I mean, Really, even before I had a vision for this building, you had a vision and you and you did it in a lot less time than it took me to have my vision. Explain the story. <laughs> I'll start quickly. When I moved here in 2010 and I didn't know anybody in the town, started hanging out in coffee shops, getting to know people. And I met a friend named Cameron and he was friends with Mike Hess. Mike Hess is the former owner of the shirt factory. Wasn't called that at the time, but we learned that there was a, I guess you want to say antiques or whatever shop that was on its way out. It's time to move out. There were things left behind. And Cameron said, can you help me clean out a warehouse? And then maybe we could do an art show in there. And I said, yes, what a wonderful idea. So put on some dirty old clothes, came for two days or so, 40-yard dumpster out in Juniper Lane, opened the side doors on the first floor, used the freight elevator, and removed things. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you are downplaying <laughs> what was inside here. I mean, it, this it was place loaded. was packed. Yeah, it was totally loaded. It was a huge effort on your part. It was a good amount of work. And Mike said we could take whatever we wanted. So I was like, okay, fine. Maybe I'll find something. I might have took just a few things that I think was maybe photography stuff that I found. But it was kind of the fun of also helping out a friend, getting more connected with people in the town, getting familiar with the building. I mean, the, it's right by the square. Like if you go to the Bull's Head, you can look out back and you see the shirt factory. And it was kind of easy to not take note of at the time, but it's one of the taller buildings in town. So to get to walk inside the doors of this mystery and get involved was exciting. And how did it go? How did the gallery, the installation go? I got to give credit to my friend Cameron for his vision for like getting the lights. We got a bartender, got alcohol, provided drinks, set up temporary plumbing. <laughs> for the bartender because there, there, I don't believe there was water in the building anywhere, just electric. And uh, it was one night. It was great. Invited a bunch of people. It was on the first and the second floor at the time. And uh, I have no complaints. Do you remember what year that was? That was April 8th of 2016. So flash ahead yeah. five years later, yeah, you decide again, you know, I need to get back into the warehouse, <laughs> into the shirt bag. It remained a good idea. And that's when you called me. Yeah, yeah, because I bumped into somebody who had worked with Proto Construction and Tono, which listeners are familiar with who they are. 
And I said, do you think the owner of the building would ever be interested in doing something with art in the space? And he's like, actually, he's a pretty cool guy. He might be. And I said, if you don't mind, throw me his number. And I think I just sent you maybe an audio message because I, I wanted to assure you that I was trying to have you remain comfortable and to explore instead of feel pressured. And then we met up and talked and determined that during COVID, it might be something that would actually work to use the top floor. Well, it was, I like to think of it as being almost serendipitous because, I mean, this was, I think, in January. Yes. Uh, I mean, we were in the depth of COVID. Right. I had a life savings in a building that could not open. Mm -hmm. It was dead in here. I was pretty down. Sure. And so that phone call, I was like, wow, this is just out of the blue. This seems really right. And why not let this young artist use this space and, um, and create. maybe can help him out? Yeah. But Jim, that's a question I have for you. So how was art part of the vision of the Shirt Factory for you? I wanted it to be, I mean, I see music as art and I didn't want it just to be one medium, mm-hmm. if you will. And I just thought that, you know, everything from painting to photography, to music, to theater, and I even see stand-up comedy as art. Mm-hmm. So I want it to be a mix of, of everything. I don't want to be sort of constricted by any one art form. And what a great experience. I mean, what a first step towards creating an art environment in here. Yeah. Looking around right it, now. It was great. It's been great. I've loved it. And, and what a weird but wonderful start for the space to, to go public. Like, Totally agree. If we wouldn't have had the situation, it might not have happened and it might have been receptions booked immediately from opening day kind of thing so i feel very fortunate (laughs) it it worked out well for me and and thank you for all of that but it's been wonderful so now you just went five years ahead can you just give us a background you know where you went to college how art has played such a key role in your life yeah i grew up in Mannheim, so just 10 minutes west of lititz and uh i went to school at Mannheim central i had a an art teacher since second grade when i arrived there named mr wanamaker and he seemed to be very invested in me and the other students in his art class. And he was always very encouraging. And he helped us prep our uh, portfolios to apply to art colleges and all that. And I applied to Tyler School of Art, which is part of Temple University. Mm-hmm. And at the time, it was in Elkins Park, PA, which is, for anyone familiar with Philly, is at the very top of Broad Street. You hit a T. Tyler's old location is a stone's throw away from there. So I did Two years there, my third year, I went to Temple Rome. Temple has a couple different abroad programs, but in Rome, Tyler has a a decent presence there with studio space. So did a full academic year there, my junior year, studying art history, some Italian, and learning to slow down. (laughs) I I would say that was the biggest lesson that I gathered from that time, and to eat a lot more pasta. And then senior year (laughs) was back to Philly, trying to figure out what do I do with my degree, Someone can say, what the hell are you doing? You went to school for art. How are you going to do anything? I forget the website, but I applied to Urban Outfitters through the website and was going to be part of their display design group to physically build and and lay out their displays, which I'd seen in like King of Prussia or whatever in their stores. So I show up for that job after graduating, do it for about two weeks in the retail space because the, the lead gal was actually out because she had a child. And after a little retail experience, I determined this wasn't going to be for me. And I was like, I guess I will go home. So at this point, you decide you're going to move back home Mm -hmm. and work for your father, who's in construction, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. My father had a construction business, his own, I think since I was, maybe it's when I was around two. 
And so I was familiar, familiar with that work. So I'll do that. I like working with my hands. Art college is a very intellectual, can be very emotional, a very heady experience. You're in your head a lot. If you have a studio practice, it's all about whatever you are going to do. And that can be a lot of weight to carry if you're not into where you're at at the time, or it can feel like you're on top of the world if you feel like you're killing it. And I was just kind of a little burned out from that kind of stress, that up and down. So it was appealing to think of doing construction. My dad is a great guy. And then eventually went to Atomic Design here in Lidditz, which is a part of Rock mm-hmm. Lidditz, which a lot of people will right. know that name, and came in as one of their three scenic artists. So paintwork, kind of like faux finishes, if for a shortcut way to say what it is. And um, eventually became the paint shop lead there. Had two people with me in the shop, and it changed my free time, my schedule, and it made it so that I could try to lean into art more again. Because at, at Atomic, in the event industry, when it's going hot, it's going hot. You might have three weeks where you work 70 hours a week, maybe hit 80, just because when the client's going to pay and you're doing something important that's going to go on TV, it has to happen. There are deadlines. Yeah, there are deadlines and they are not moving. And everyone understands that. But for a family, that can be tough. So it was the right time to take a risk, even though it didn't feel like much of a risk because I had been working with my dad for a few months while I was furloughed. But that led me to here. Right. Because I could actually dedicate time time to be like, yeah, I think I could actually walk down two blocks to that cool warehouse and make paintings in the evening. And how did the environment of being in this space, a brick warehouse surrounded by windows, does it make a difference where you're doing your art? I am positive it makes a difference because uh, when I was first furloughed, I had more time, obviously, and I started making small paintings in my basement. It's a stone foundation, low ceilings, dingy. Um, some people have seen photos of it on my Instagram account. And you can see it. it's like, is he in a dungeon with paint all over the floor? <laughs> like, what is that? You're right. So to walk upstairs, come here and have windows on all four sides. The sun shines. The light is beautiful. It makes a huge difference. And I would say when you're in a space that you know somebody invested in, it's clean, it's intentional, it's designed, it feels safe too. And I think when you're in curated space that is properly laid out it just feels like you're cared about along with the space so it was easy to just stand up here no idea put a blank canvas up and be like i'm going to take a little risk of a first move with a paintbrush and just enjoy the piece that i have and let's do it let's talk about your art because we're we're not visual so people aren't seeing your art so how do you define your art i'm actually sitting here looking at it right now but how do you define your art for me, I'd say the easiest way to describe it to somebody is you use the word abstract. That's a starting place for somebody, regardless of where their education is for the visual arts. If someone needs to, wants to know how it happens, I would say it's more like a dance or music because I've learned that I like to create from a place of not knowing where, where I'm going to end up. So it's kind of a linear path of a first move, a first step, first note, and then you determine the second one after you can respond to the first one. And you kind of just stack it all up and keep going. And eventually, you might find that you've traveled to a place that you're pleased with. Or I take out the white gesso and just cover the whole thing over and start Start over. And the painting behind me is kind of an example of that too, where it had an idea of lots of little abstract marks. And I just thought, I've done this before. I need something different. And then there's a few big motions that completely make it so it's a different painting now. You can't go backwards. You're starting over to a degree. But... Overall, I would say it's a a wrestling with color and 
a dance and a discovery, I guess. That's, oh, that's really nicely because put, it is, actually. It's big and bold and colorful. And you really enjoy working with the big, the big, what do you call it? What is it called? Canvas. The big, the big canvas. canvas. What are the sizes? Tell people. The largest ones that I tend to work on are around six feet tall, 10 feet wide. That was kind of determined because it could fit through a door <laughs> to be moved. <laughs> right. No limitation. It's big enough that I love it, but I, I would enjoy working even larger. And I think part of that is because when when it's that big, you f- you're more aware of your body. You have to reach further. You have to reach low. So I think it welcomes an awareness of physical movement. And some works are very based on mark. And that's you can't break that from the body. It's tied to the length of my arm and all that. So tell us about selling your art. That was a very hard thing to figure out at the start. You get out of college and you see works priced all over the place. You think, I'm only this old, that painting's selling for this much, but I'm not painting barns in Lancaster County. I'm trying to do stuff in an abstract vein. And for a while, I think my work was priced a little low, but I don't regret it. It was a beginning. And then I ended up talking to a a local artist and another gallery owner, and I gave them some questions, some thoughts, and I had somebody mention that they had used square footage as a way of, of charging. So I shared some numbers with those people One said that I was too low. The other said that it was fair. And I thought, that's how I'll go forward. I'll start there. So for the most part, any medium to to large painting I make is actually priced based on the the size of it. I was surprised by that because... Yeah, Yeah, me too. You know, one painting, you could end up, I would think, spending hours, Mm -hmm. many, many hours on it. And another, you know, maybe only, you know, it comes to you quickly, like a flash, you know. Yet it's based on square footage, not labor. Mm -hmm. Yeah, That was something that was a a little bit uncomfortable to settle on at first, but I had to take into account years of observation and time and your mood. Like what you bring to a blank canvas is going to influence what happens on it. If I would approach it from a a bad place, I could burn 20 hours trying to fight something and get a terrible result. So sometimes, well, I'd like to think that when I say a painting is done, it has hit a place that I'm pleased with and I feel like the value is there. Like you can see it, you can believe in it, I believe in it, that kind of thing. Sometimes that happens in only a few hours. There, there's hours in prepping the canvas and building it, but sometimes it's just like a magical flash. Maybe like a great improvisational line in a jazz song, and you're like, oh my God, that, that's the best saxophone line I've ever heard in my life up until this point. And I'm not saying my work is good like that, but like pleasing moments come and surprise you sometimes. And if you don't hit that finishing mark, you can always white it out and start again or turn it upside down and make a big change to it so to like punch a clock feels in some ways like it would be dishonest to to base it off of that because i could make a terrible painting that took me a very long time (laughs) if that makes sense well one of your first pieces that you did here lollipop reed correct yeah lollipop reeds uh big canvas bold bright yeah. colors. Yep. Beautiful. Did that come quickly? I mean, how labor intensive was that? How was that process? That was a great example of a fairly fast painting. And it was one of the only times that I actually have done any prep work for what I wanted to see. I bought 10 aluminum strainer frames. That, that's what you stretch the canvas over. They came from California. They were on sale. And I was like, okay, I, I got to front this money. I want to work big. I'm hoping to be able to do that worked out that I ended up here. But anyway, I had one of those frames, I wrapped it, I prepped it, had a photo of it, I was sitting up here looking out the window, and I took the highlighter tool of your photo edit, like markup Mm -hmm. stuff, drew some diagonal lines across it, 
and I loved the colors. They were, they were some colors I had used on my kick drum for my drum set years ago in college. And I came back to those colors and layered them with transparency. And I thought, I'm going to mix these up. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I mixed the colors in the little jars ready to go. And I made that painting maybe in a period of five or six visitations, but only an hour or so at a time was making really? the mark. But it, it just, it hit right. I was super pleased with the layout and the marks and everything. It's very cool. But you know what, Jim, when you think about it, composers, sometimes they can sit down and write an amazing piece of music in 10 minutes and other times it can take days and days and weeks. So sure. I don't know. I think that's, it's pretty common. Inspiration comes and yeah. fits and whatever. Yeah, I, I think my love of painting comes with the chance to be very visceral, sensual, on the fly. And so I have to create the opportunities where that can happen. And that fits how you determine when it's done, the price, et cetera. I just have to be open to that. Yeah. Like a little magic or whatever. whatever. You yeah, have. no no question, wherever the inspiration yeah. comes from. Yeah, no, that's, that's what keeps it interesting. No, it certainly does. It's beautiful. So tell us about Rome. I know you spent some time in Rome, like you said, for a year and the sort of sense that that gave you in terms of your art. Well, I was hearing a buzz about it when I was a sophomore because students each year would go. And uh, it became a, I guess, like a little tiny cultural experience of us learning to cook together, having dinner for two and a half hours a night, sharing wine. And for me, that was like the first time I was really like having alcohol in terms of like the art of it. Try to have some great wine, have a great meal. And we learned to slow down. We'd open the windows of the apartment and just eat dinner and then just sit and talk. Have the lights low and have the huge shutters open, the wind blowing through. And we just calmed down. And I think people would say that Americans could be seen as loud or busy or working all the time or whatever. And I think I found some some different pace by living there. Oh, yeah. Americans have dinner. It's like, you know, they'll spend an hour preparing it and 15 minutes to yes. eat it. You know, and they're clearing the table before you're even done eating. <laughs> yeah. And, and I found that that was a frustration for my family when I came back, that they would comment on how long it took me to eat. And I, th- I think they believed it was intentional or like it was a part of me that said, gee, that I wanted to stir a pot. But in reality, it became comfortable to eat slowly. And Feel the chair and your, right. your feet resting and want to have a conversation instead of get to the next thing. So let me ask you, and I know this is a bit of a cliched question. But it's like, where do you see yourself and your Mm. art? Where do you see yourself as an artist, Mm -hmm. say, five years from now? Yeah, I I don't totally know other than I want to increase my time spent in the studio. I want to have more paintings be created. So I'm kind of a little cautious that I don't want to get pigeonholed. I want to remain free. But I'm seeing that if I just make the work, can put in the time, there seems to be people that value it and believe in it, too. So I'm just hoping that that will slowly grow as I have a consistent presence and, and keep producing. And, and you, you meet more people. And I've learned as I got older that that is the most important factor of so many things. The people that you know and the way that you interact with them is huge. Like you got to have a good product, but you got to have people. Yeah. And what I hear you saying, I think, is that, you know, you put in the hard work mm-hmm. and if you're persistent, mm-hmm. it will pay off. Yeah. And if it doesn't, my take is just that I will remain honest to myself in the work that I'm making so that I'm not regretting if it doesn't happen. Like I could hope that it happens, but I don't want to change what I'm doing to try to make it happen. I want to like the work. Your whole presence in being is so 
positive and joyous in your art is that way as well. You're so far from the tortured, dark artist <laughs> that wants to close themselves off in a room. I mean, you really are. So where does that, where does your light come from? I think that I used to be a little bit more in the shade of things. And over time, I've become more extroverted. And some of that hinges on people and relationships, blesses you and lifts you up. And I would say in high school and college, there were times when mentally I was way, way, way more dark or, or manifestations of more like obsessive compulsive kind of things because I was desiring certainty in life. And it was a very hard, long lesson for me to realize that I can't truly be certain 100% of anything. And when you grow up feeling like things are absolute in a way, whether it's faith or family or whatever, you feel safe. And then when that gets revealed that not everything is for sure, that's a new stress that you got to find the balance to. And it took me a while to find it. But once I kind of let go and could say, F it, I got to I gotta let go, have my hands open and just do what I can. It's liberating. Yes, it, it liberated me and my mental health got a lot better. You just have to accept the risk of life. You yeah, no exactly. Option. You know, the only predictable thing in life is that it's going to change. Right. Nothing yeah, the stays the same. Stays the same as change. That's yeah. one of my right. favorites. Melissa right. Etheridge line. I love that. Line. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Good. And your parents, you said how wonderful your parents have been because Jim yeah. and I were laughing. We're like, wait a minute, you got this art degree from this great school and they were 100% supportive of you. Yes. They, my parents signed me up for an art course, I believe when I was a kindergartner. And that was at PCAD here in Lancaster before it was a college. It, it was like an art school where you could take classes. And I remember doing a collage and some other things. And I apparently liked it enough that they, they saw potential there. I didn't have the self-awareness to think this is what I want to do all the time, but they saw potential. And then it just coincided with when we moved to Mannheim and I had Mr. Wanamaker as an art teacher, that nourishment kept going. But my parents have always been supportive. And I think maybe Maybe they didn't see what else I would do. <laughs> like Maybe that was a part of it. They probably saw a sensitivity that like the arts or music made sense. They actually made me play drums also when I was yeah. in fifth grade because I would drum on my knees or the table and that drove my mother nuts. And they're like, <laughs> you are going to take instrument lessons. And so I did. And that was a, a huge part of my social circle too. Yeah. Played in bands and, and still play drums when I can. COVID obviously influences that, the pandemic. But um they've always been supportive. They they helped pay with college and all that and made sure that I could press on through that. Yeah, I'm sure there's times they believed background. in me Absolutely. when I didn't. So I can't thank them enough for that. So here's another one. We have to, we're convinced that you're really stoned when you're doing your art. Yeah. <laughs> there, there's just, I'm sure. I told are, you not to ask. No, we are convinced. <laughs> this and isn't the first respond? time. I tell people that I have actually never been stoned and they find it hard to believe, but that, um, that almost makes it. No, I believe him actually. Well, it almost makes it like a thing that I want to hang on to because it's much easier to be like, no, I haven't used that as an influence on my art. And they can be like, even once. And I can be like, no, but if I would do it once, which I don't have a problem with people doing and some friends do, then they'd be like, oh, so this is what happens because he does do drugs. So in some ways I kind of like that I can be like, well, everything you see so far has just been made by me eating food and drinking water, well, maybe having beer sometimes. Yeah, oh, yeah sometimes. well, that helps. You yeah. chill, right? Well, you know, Relax. second floor right down below us, you can get a beer sometimes if you're painting <laughs> upstairs. True. You certainly can. <laughs> oh. And some damn good beer, actually. Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah. Hey, and that's another thing that is sort of interesting is you did artwork on beer cans in your past. Yeah, yeah. That was that was really awesome. Um, there's there's a brewery in Philadelphia called Crime and Punishment. And it's one of my favorites. They make great stuff. You say that about every... No, 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 no. no Crime and I, Punishment I, is a standout in I've, brewery town. I've found that Jim and I have some similar tastes. And oh, yeah. We both believe in our tastes and they happen to have some overlap. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> but uh, I knew Mike Wamble, one of the, the owners and a co-brewer there from when I was in college and before from I bands. I didn't know that. Because it really is. It's a, I mean, when I go to Philadelphia, that's one of my stops every yeah. time. Yeah, it's exceptional stuff. Yeah. So in knowing him... I don't know if I reached out or he reached out and he's like, do you want to hang some art? So for the month of July, I forget which year, I took art down and hung it up, sold some work, et cetera. But I also homebrew. So I obviously love for more than one reason. It's like, I love beer and art. Stayed in touch with Mike, ended up meeting him at Forest and Maine one time. And one of the Hidden River Brewers was there and they, they can their, their beer. So they look for images and they've kind of found their footing for what kind of imagery they want. But maybe two years ago, we used two different works of mine. One was actually a photograph of a palette. The other was a painting that's actually behind us called Resolute in the Depths. And so we made an agreement and they they did their batch of beer and used it on the cans. So that was pretty cool. I did not know that. That it's is really great. great. It looks, so really let's, I guess, start to wrap things up. Yes, yes, yes. What, uh, what's next for you? I'm looking for a studio. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't say that as any negative thing because I'm moving out of here like this. This was a, a residency moment for an opportune time. It's kind of showed me that I want to have a space even more that is mine. When I worked for Atomic, I could paint in the evenings, but sometimes you don't have the energy to dig your stuff out and set up. So I'm going to look for a space. I'll keep doing my day job, which leaves enough capacity for me to want to make art after that. And I hope to just keep both rolling and going to breweries and getting connected with them too, because I love beer and brewing. What's your favorite collusion beer? Oh, man. Honestly, I probably had more first right than anything else. Yeah. I'm lately loving lagers and really into that. Yeah. It's a great Pilsner, actually. Yeah, I think it's a great Pilsner. So where do people find you? I know you've got Instagram and your website. Yeah. Yeah. I I try to keep a decent Instagram presence. I keep it on an old phone that isn't in my pocket, so I'm not checking it all the time. But try to stay in touch with people through that and a little bit of Facebook Instagram pushes to face, Facebook, but my website, alistairblake.art, is a, is a way to contact me. There's a form and I can receive anything through that to my email address. And uh, I live in Linnitz. If anybody ever wants to talk art or see art, I'm happy to meet people. And We know where to find you. Yeah, we know where to find yeah. you. And if anybody has a nice space. Yes. If anybody has a, a space. really good yeah. artist. Alistair will be a great thanks. addition Either to your Either reach space. out to the Shirt Factory or to alistairblake.art. Dot art. Yeah. I just think it's such a great vibe that art does, brings to any place. So anybody would be lucky to have you in there. Thanks. I just have to ask what, about your dreads. Okay. He has the most, you have the most beautiful dreads. So how much work is it to keep them healthy? Well, depending how you start, you got to have long hair first. Right. I went to a gal named Katie Payne in the city that does dreads for people. And it's a matter of just shampoo without residue. And keep them clean and dry. When I work, I cover them because you can imagine dust. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but no, I can't. Be a yeah. good look for you, Kim. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the dreads, <laughs> dreadlocks. It really would be. A 63-year-old with dreads yeah, would be, be fan- really nice. Just fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> so, Alistair Blake Peters. Yes. Thank you very much. Thank uh, you. It's been a great experience. Same and it's me. something that I 
you know, it's, it's going to be hard, I think, to top what you've done here and the interest that's been created by your art. But I hope to be able to do it. I hope that you remain a part of the, the shirt factory. I will be around for sure. I love it here. Great. I really appreciate the, the yeah. time that you spend here and the work that you did here. Sure. You're inspiring. Thanks. Bye. Say goodbye, Kim. Goodbye, Kim. Bye, Jim. Bye, Alex. Thank you, everyone. See you around. And while you're thinking about it, go to where you get your podcasts and subscribe and give us a review. Visit our website, LittitzShirtFactory.com. Join our mailing list and you will get updates, event info, and lots of cool stuff. Follow us on our social media channels, Instagram and Facebook at Littitz Shirt Factory. And don't forget, come have a beer and a bite to eat here at Collusion. 5 Juniper Lane, Littitz Shirt Factory, seven days a week.